From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. And I'm Jennifer Schott, budget and appropriations reporter. And we have a lot to talk about this week, Jen, because there is now a lot of spending on the table to the tune of over $4 trillion. It is kind of a mind-blowing sum that I don't think we've ever had before at one time, in one, uh, so much so, so fast. But um, President Biden has now really set the agenda here, an ambitious agenda of some massive spending both for his infrastructure plan and, as we saw this week, his new, uh, what he's calling a family's plan, a huge package for education and child care and paid leave for workers, which that package alone is $1.8 trillion on top of a $2 trillion plus infrastructure package. This is huge new spending with huge tax increases on the wealthy and on corporations to pay for it. Congress is going to be really busy, and it's not going to be easy to to deal with this. Yeah, the next month is going to really tell everyone whether or not the Biden administration can move one or both of these proposals through the sort of traditional legislative process, or whether or not they're going to switch gears and use the budget reconciliation process, which allows them to avoid the Senate's 60-vote legislative filibuster Um, It sounds like there are ongoing negotiations between congressional Republicans, predominantly West Virginia Republican Shelley Moore Capito, the ranking member on the Senate Environment and Public Works Committee, um, and President Biden himself, as well as key uh, members of his administration. They spoke yesterday on Thursday, and it sounds like both of them believe the call was um, constructive um, and that they both want to try to find some type of bipartisan path forward, but there are still significant differences between the broad majority of congressional Republicans and what's in these plans, not only in terms of coming to agreement on how much to spend on infrastructure and childcare and education, but how to pay for those programs. This is something that I think is going to be significantly challenging for Democrats and Republicans to come to agreement on because this kind of gets to those core fundamental differences between how Republicans view the federal government and how Democrats view the federal government. And so bridging that gap isn't just going to be kind of a numbers game, but it's also going to be getting to their political philosophies, essentially. Yeah, that's what was so striking to me, Jen, in listening to Biden's big primetime speech this week, because he really set up an ideological clash here over fiscal policy that's going to be really hard to to resolve for any kind of bipartisan deal. I mean, it's true. They're both still speaking the language of bipartisanship. Biden said he wants to do things in a bipartisan way. It's true also that that he is talking with Senate Republicans on a more limited infrastructure package, maybe $600 billion. But even on that package, there's no way, there's no agreement on how to pay for that. And they're far apart. And if you listen to Biden's speech, what was so striking to me is he really, he sets up this clash 
you know, he, 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 he trashed the Republican tax cuts of 2017, which he didn't have to bring up, but he did because he's trying to set up this fight. Uh, saying, you know, all that they did was add $2 trillion to the national debt and, and most of the benefits went to the wealthy. And of course, Republicans see those tax cuts as, as helping produce the great economic boom that existed before the pandemic hit. And so that doesn't help bipartisanship. And then he sets up this, this argument where all the billionaires got richer during the pandemic and the middle class was left behind. And there's a lot of truth in that. But that was his argument is, you know, he said, no trickle-down economics. It's never worked. We need to build from the bottom and the middle out. Those were his key phrases. And that isn't going to fly with Republicans because they see his big taxes on corporations and on the wealthy as dampening the economy. It, it's, they think it's going to lower economic growth. And so it's it's like a non-starter there. So his huge spending relies on these big tax increases that Republicans are going to fight tooth and nail over. So where there's a making for a bipartisan deal there is really hard to see right now. Yeah, I think this is going to be a really complicated negotiation, not only for Democrats in the Biden administration, but for Republicans, um, especially heading into 2022's midterm elections. Both parties are already thinking about that. And that's something that Republicans really want to win back the House and try to win back the Senate. And so, you know, there's a lot of calculations here, too, beyond just, you know, what can Republicans and Democrats agree to on policy and, and how to pay for it. But really, you know, does negotiating a bipartisan infrastructure package, whatever the size, whatever the def definition, you know, is that something that both parties could benefit politically from? And so that's the thing in on Capitol Hill is there's always um, sort of that undercurrent of politics and fundraising and re-election prospects and who's in power and what chambers that also guide these negotiations. And so there's already so much in the mix here in terms of, you know, governing philosophies and how much to spend, how to define infrastructure, how to pay for it. But then you also have that kind of thought process that's in the back of every lawmaker and politician's minds at all times. And that's, well, what does this mean for us and the party going forward, politically speaking? And so there's so many complicated dynamics here and really not much time to reach some sort of bipartisan agreement. Um, because if Democrats are going to go the budget reconciliation route, which won't be easy for them by any means in the Senate, but if they do choose to go and use that sort of fast track legislative process, they're going to need to get going on those reconciliation instructions probably sometime in late May um, to really get this process moving and these bills marked up throughout the summer heading into the fall. Right. And I think we did hear Chuck Schumer, the Senate Majority Leader, this week say that they need to move ahead with a budget resolution, which is a clear signal that reconciliation is coming. Um, that's the first step. They need to pass a budget resolution. Um, that will have instructions in it for a reconciliation package that they can then pass with a simple majority vote that avoids any Republican filibuster. And, and all the Democrats are making noises that that's, that's in their game plan now and that they have to go that route because I think 
They may stretch bipartisan talks for a few more weeks, but, uh, but clearly there's a recognition on the part of Democrats and I think in, on, on the part of Republicans that in the end, I, I think they know which way this thing is going and it's going to require reconciliation if Democrats have any hope of passing most of this package. Yeah, but reconciliation won't be sort of the somewhat sure thing that it was when Democrats advanced the 1.9 trillion coronavirus relief package earlier this year. This is, you know, first of all, which budget resolution do you use? There's been some talk of revising the fiscal year 21 budget resolution for a second round of reconciliation instructions. But what exactly the Senate parliamentarian says Democrats can do with revising that fiscal year 21 budget resolution is very opaque right now. I've been talking with House Budget Chairman John Yarmuth and Senate Budget Chairman Bernie Sanders, and both say that they haven't actually seen the parliamentarian's ruling on this, which is very odd because they're the budget chairman and this is budget reconciliation. And then on top of that, If you move through the fiscal 22 process, which would be a new budget resolution, Democrats in the House and Senate are going to have to go through really, really tough debates there on uh, discretionary spending for non-defense and defense line items. They're going to get into tax policy and entitlement programs like Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. And so just getting the House and Senate with their very narrow majorities to agree to adopt a fiscal year 22 budget resolution to send reconciliation instructions is going to be a monumental task, whether or not they choose to revise fiscal year 21 or to move on to fiscal year 22. And then once they pass that hurdle of actually getting reconciliation instructions, they have to get a reconciliation package that you can have progressive sign off in the House with the very narrow majority there, um, as well as moderates in the House and Senate. And we've heard from several of them that they're not entirely, several moderate Democrats, including West Virginia's Democratic Senator Joe Manchin, that they are not entirely comfortable with these price tags, and they're not entirely comfortable with some of the ways the Biden administration has proposed paying for these packages. And so even if they do um, move some of this through a bipartisan path and do the rest through reconciliation or do all of it through reconciliation, there's no clear-cut path to victory here, no matter which path they take. Right. I mean, a single Democratic defection in the Senate and they're doomed. So it's a real struggle. And as you say, so correctly, I mean, (laughs) a lot of it would be at that point up to the parliamentarian as to how much of this package can even get get through reconciliation without violating budget laws. So a lot that's unclear there, even if they go the reconciliation route. But we should say, I mean, Democrats clearly do feel emboldened here. Um, you know, because they have at least marginal control of both chambers. They know time is fleeting. And what's really changed the dynamic, I think, of spending is the pandemic. Uh, and I think lawmakers have acknowledged this, that, you know, $4 trillion, this, this is a staggering sum that would have, before the pandemic, would have been considered um, un unimaginable to even contemplate, to even propose. No one had proposed anything on this scale. I mean, back when Obama did his economic stimulus plan, it came out to about $800 billion as the major, as the major economic jumpstart that they were hoping for. They were very, I don't think they ever wanted to reach even a trillion dollars. They were afraid of that trillion dollar price tag, the sound of that. 
that they figured would alienate too many people in Congress. And so he kept it low. And, and Obama folks now say, in retrospect, the package was too small, but everyone was afraid to go much bigger. Here we are. We've already done over $5 trillion in pandemic relief, which is staggering in and of itself. But you could say, okay, that was a national emergency, a major health crisis. And now they're talking about another $4 trillion for all the rest of this stuff. And that, that shows you how emboldened Democrats feel where they think the, 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 prism has, the, the prism has changed, that we're looking through new lenses now as to how much spending the country can accommodate uh, given all, all these pent up demands for public services and, and some relief. Uh, and and even some Republicans this week acknowledge that 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 they're trying to push back against that, but they recognize that that four trillion dollars it's too much for their taste, but it no longer sounds quite as scary, I guess, as it used to in pre-pandemic times. And so both you've got two parties pushing at opposite extremes right now, one going trying to go huge and the other trying to put the brakes way back, and. That's why bipartisan talks are just going to be so hard, um, and that the most the most we might get is a much more limited infrastructure package, and even then, that that small package they're trying to negotiate with Senate Republicans, I mean, there's no agreement even on how to pay for that. I mean, Biden wants to tax corporations for that, and Republicans say no dice, and they're not really putting anything on the table as a as a credible substitute, we should say. I mean, Republicans have talked about using unspent COVID relief money. And so you're going to have Democrats saying they're trying to rob from COVID relief to pay for infrastructure. I mean, there's, there's, there's nothing there to really finance the package along bipartisan lines, I don't think. We'll see, but it doesn't seem like. Um, and so how many more weeks can this go on of these kind of talks is what's unclear to me. And as you say, time is fleeting and they have to get the reconciliation process rolling. Yeah, exactly right. And I think in terms of what uh, Americans and what voters are willing to expect from the federal government really has evolved during the last year. Like you were saying, Senator Shelley Moore Capito was asked about this by reporters this week. And she said, quote, I think that the pandemic has skewed people's vision of how much government support they need, because obviously we all relied on a lot of government support, whether you're a small business or you're unemployed, end quote. And so the interesting thing there is that Republicans are very cognizant that during the pandemic, the amount of um, support and aid and relief that Americans received from the federal government was considered by most a net positive, even when it came as, you know, really kind of record-breaking deficit spending. And so she was saying that she thinks um, the country essentially needs to, quote, recalibrate um, and, quote, kind of how uh, the country looks at, um, you know, the federal government's approach to fiscal policy and to aid and things like that. Now that vaccinations are um, sort of moving out and the pandemic is sort of hopefully winding down. And so I think that's going to be something that is also another really central point in these negotiations is you know, what exactly do voters want and how are they communicating what they want from the federal government to their lawmakers? Because that's obviously something in the past, um, particularly on healthcare, 
um, and Republicans' attempts to repeal and replace the 2010 health care law or the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare, uh, that is something where voters, you know, calling in and making their, you know, their opinions known to their lawmakers had a significant impact on that legislation's trajectory. And so, you know, I don't think we're going to see the type of, you know, call and email inundation that the Hill saw during that debate with these infrastructure packages. But, you know, town halls are restarting again and and constituents are going to be paying attention to this. And so how they communicate their support or lack of support to their lawmakers is also going to influence this process. Yeah. And Congress will be in recess uh, next week and they'll have a chance to go back to their districts, engage public opinion on this and, and see if any private talks happen that could move things forward. But that's so that's basically where we are right now. A little bit of a waiting game now, now that all of these proposals have been laid out there and we will be following it for you very closely in the weeks to come. That does it for us today. If you have any questions or comments about our podcast, we'd love to hear from you. You can always drop us an email. The address is cqpodcast, one word, at cqrollcall.com. The CQ Budget Podcast is produced by CQ Roll Call, a leader in nonpartisan political and policy news and analysis for more than 70 years. CQ Roll Call is part of Fiscal Note, a global technology and media company. Thank you all for listening. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. And I'm Jennifer Shutt, budget and appropriations reporter. You can always stay up to date by subscribing to the CQ Budget Newsletter. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, NPR One, or just Google the phrase CQ Budget Podcast. And we'll be back next week. <laughs>